Hey everyone, this is Eric Wright, the host of the Disco Posse podcast. This is it. This is episode number 102. Very, very cool discussion with Ed Vincent. Ed's the founder of Festival Pass. He's got an incredible history, both in the industry and just in, in what he's bringing to the market with his team at Festival Pass. This is actually a cool chance for folks to get in early as well. Uh, so Ed talks about where they are with the platform, what the approach is, and really how to drive a true experience and customer-focused organization and platform. So it's very cool. Uh, lots of great lessons, and thank you very much, Ed, for, for such a fun uh, discussion and really exploring what's coming up. Uh, so again, jump in, have a listen. I hope you love it. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Ed Vincent, founder of Festival Pass, and you're listening to the Disco Posse Podcast. All right, welcome aboard, folks. We are back. Uh, this is really uh, going to be a fun one. As somebody who's uh, been involved in going to a lot of concerts in my life, I used to have literally a stack of tickets, and I know there's probably people that are in my generation, especially, we used to collect those tickets. I used to talk about all the places that I've been, and then when I played in bands, I was so happy to be able to go and and not just do you know sort of venue opportunities, but then I moved up to actual like multi-day festivals and uh the reason why i mention that is because we are talking to somebody who is literally bringing you an incredible experience with the company that he's founded uh, i've got ed vincent here who's the founder of festival pass uh ed if you want to quickly just tell us where we can find you online so for folks that want to get connected uh and then we're gonna we'll open up we'll talk about festival pass how it got started and and your story because you've got God, you've got an incredible background and I could literally talk for eight hours with you and, and probably not even have a break. <laughs> sure, sure. No, I appreciate that. So uh, from the consumer side, uh, festivalpass.com, very simple path to find us in terms of uh, finding out about the company and signing up. Um, obviously, you will find us on other social channels as well, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. Now, the the neat thing about... Uh, what you're doing all, all my view of this is this is a great idea obviously like look you know that's my my armchair uh, analyst view of it because one of the things that I, I I think people are really really missing out on sometimes is getting connected to number one great things that are out and happening in the world and being able to keep in touch with what's going on and secondarily and in fact I would move this up to number one is get connected with people. And this is the uh, a really cool pairing because you're delivering an experience that can do both. So if you want to talk about Festival Pass, how did it get started and what's the, what's the story behind it? Sure, sure. So I'll start with uh, leading off from what you just said is, you know, the mission really is to get more and more people to live that experiential life. Um, you know, I believe like it sounds like you do is um, being around community and being around people really is the, the things in life we treasure. Um, and, you know, when the, the world of digital has kind of separated us and uh, bringing back experiences is, is really something that I think we see a, a trend and a shift moving towards. 
Um, and, uh, you know, our tagline for Festival Pass is live life live. And that's something we really want to try and uh, foster and, and help. You've got the most, that's the most beautiful tagline too, because it's, <clears throat> especially when we think of people today, you know, it's like, we, we always joke about, hey, living my best timeline. <laughs> like, well, no, that's, that's not the point. The point is, you know, that's, that's the glossy, the, the glossy version of it, but versus like actually getting and, and this is, you know, living a, a real experience and, and being a part of this, especially through music and through festivals and through like you, it's much more than music. I obviously, I honed in on that just because I, I, that's my background and, and how I've, sure. got it. I've been to so many multi-day things, whether it's, you know, and it is an experience. It is ups and downs and, and, and ebbs and flows of experiential things that are going on. And, you know, I miss it. Uh, because when I go to conferences and I go to tech conferences and business conferences and, and you, you really, it's just there. And it's not about like, Hey, the great keynote, whatever, just like, you know, a, you know, you go to a wine festival and it's like, there's a dozen things that are amazing about it. And these breaks in between where you connect with people. Uh, so how did you decide? I, I think I got a problem that needs to be solved here. Sure. Sure. So, so I'll just, uh, complete your sentence there about the integration of all different kinds of festivals. And then I'll go back to the context of why it all came to be. Um, so you do make a great point. People think of music festivals as kind of the, um, you know, the big thing when they think of festivals initially, but uh, all of those live experiences you mentioned are really important. There's, there's music festivals and film festivals and food and wine festivals. And uh, on, the, on the last part was tech and innovation festivals. Um, the more and more we see people get, getting together, um, there's really becomes this seamless integration of all different things for people to experience. Um, you know, as a great example, and people may not know this as of yet, but uh, like Virgin Fest is, uh, you know, the Virgin brand is creating a new festival coming out in June uh, of this year out in Los Angeles. And it really is about that full integration of, you know, uh, multi-day music and a big tech and innovation section talking about um, you know their space exploration as well as all the other things Virgin's involved with uh, in, including sustainability and, and environment so it's, re it's really exciting when you can bring all these different aspects of different genres together and that's really what Festival Pass is all about um, to just have an experiential life. So uh, to give context of why <clears throat> there's always a why to, to everything I've been an entrepreneur for over 20 years um, and uh, during the 2000s timeframe, I, I had an agency about a, you know, 60, 70 person experiential agency where we uh, activated a lot of big brands um, across lots of events. So that was really my first foray into really understanding all these different type of live events that exist. In that context, it was how do you get a brand in front of people? Um, but it also enabled uh, me to understand the different genres that existed. Um, we also helped at the time, which was the fun side of the business, uh, helped a bunch of film festivals launch, including uh, the Vale Film Festival. And we did a lot of work with Sonoma Valley Film Festival. Um, and, uh, and then we actually launched our own film festival down in the Dominican Republic, which was pretty exciting. I, I was the director of that festival for, for many years. Um, but, but getting that experience and being part of it made me realize how much I love live events, how, how much that's a passion of mine. Uh, I even started a charity 16 years ago 
for to build a 5k running race and there's nothing that makes me happier than once a year it still exists today to go down and, and uh, it's a small relatively small community race but a thousand people come together to really support um cancer research and just that community the feel of being around people really uh is part of my passion so so that's the beginning um of of the why um obviously as an entrepreneur I continued to have uh, various businesses and and uh, had uh, you know various experiences uh, in terms of um, having an e-commerce business in '99. I sold in 2001. Um, I had a software as a service business uh, in 2011, 2012 um, that we sold in 2014. Uh, and then for the last uh, four or five years, and this we're building up to the context. Um, uh, I've had a data business in the entertainment space. Um, with uh, with two other partners, and, and we spent a lot of time understanding consumer behavior through data. Um, large television networks like A and E networks and AMC networks uh, were clients, as well as uh, the people that sell ads in the United States. Um, there's only two companies that sell ads in front of the movie theater uh, when you arrive early, if you still do. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's not just let's all go to the lobby. <laughs> they actually have advertisements. <laughs> they do and do. And one of the hardest parts about um, the theatrical space was trying to bridge the air gap between the people sitting in the, in the seats versus the, the on screen and digital it's always been relatively easy, at least now. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny to think that the internet's only been around for 20 plus years. Um, that is relatively easy to target ads to individuals online. Um, but uh, it's really only in the last couple of years that, that theaters have been able to uh, understand who's in the audience and then be able to put the right ads to the right people at the right time. Um, so a lot of that, a lot of that um, knowledge of understanding consumer data has been kind of really helpful in this journey in that same process. And uh, there was a uh, company that became a client um, called MoviePass, which some people may have heard of, um, who recently, uh, um, you know, did, did go out of business. We can talk about that if, uh, if you'd like to get into that. Um, but I was brought in as their chief data officer for about 18 months uh, as a consultant through my business. And, uh, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot about subscription models. I learned a lot about data there's there's a lot of things movie pass did do right uh, obviously some things they did wrong and and uh and we could talk about uh, a little bit of that if you wanted to um but uh really understanding um how to use data to understand consumer behavior has been very powerful so that kind of brings us to to date in terms of festival pass um where when i looked at the overall market uh, I, I felt it was I felt there was a lot of things happening. There was a, the live events business is a $200 billion global business. Um, and in, in the US or North America, I should say alone, including those lovely Canadians uh, up North, um, it's a $7 billion business just for festivals. Uh, and that's really mostly inclusive of music, film and food and wine. Most people don't realize there's about 9,000 food and wine festivals in North America every year. Um, so there's a lot going on in that live event uh, the, uh, experiential space. So when I saw that, I also realized that it's a, it's a very uh, disaggregated business, um, meaning that some of the large players you may hear about, whether it's Live Nation, AEG, that run some of the biggest festivals, um, really only own a small fraction of the overall live event space. It's, it's uh, lots and lots, thousands upon thousands of companies and rights holders you know, one great example is uh, the biggest music festival in the world 
is Summerfest in Milwaukee. Um, gets close to you know eight nine hundred thousand people come to that festival, not owned by any of the big players, just owned solely by a nonprofit that runs that one festival. It's uh, quite amazing when you think about that that piece. If you know, so I, I don't want to cut you off, but like it, <clears throat> a lot of people, they kind of think of the big player names, but it really is kind of like a Pareto's principle of you know, 80% of the, of the stuff may be owned by 20% of the, the industry, but there's an incredible amount when you look at the size of the addressable market. You know, we always talk about, it's like, obviously TAM, total addressable market is, is a key business metric when you think about going into a business. And there's like this sort of blue ocean, red ocean strategy type of idea. But so when, you, when you're going into a market where you've got the live nations and, and these types of players, uh, it may seem daunting for some people, but it's neat that you had this, it sounds like you really had this vi- vision of like, hey, look, they've got something neat, but there's so much that's untapped um, that's right alongside it. Uh, so I'm, I'm always very interested in, in how you, you know, got to, to that and said like, I'm ready to jump in and, and be amongst those players, but uh, keep going. Sorry. It's a, it just was funny when you sent, you mentioned that now people will know those, those things of, of the live nations of the world. And uh, so it's amazing to say, Hey, there's a huge still open opportunity. Yeah. And there's, there's so many great fundamentals and, you know, there's stop me if I get into too much detail. Uh, I know, you know, you, you enjoy the entrepreneur side of it and I'm happy to get into, into it, but uh it's there's so many fundamentals of this market that get exciting so you just answered one which is the disaggregation and the fact that the big guys only own a very small piece of the big pie um the other pieces that are great uh from a fundamental perspective is um you know anytime a marketplace is created um there's really four fundamentals that have the opportunity to make a marketplace great um, and one of them, you know, I can go through all four if we have the time, um, but one of them is uh, heterogeneous inventory, right? So it's the idea that when you have two sides of a marketplace, you have the buyers and sellers. In our case, the buyers are the consumers, the inventory, the concerts, the, the festivals, the events is the inventory. That's the, that's the, um, uh, the other side of the marketplace is there's this um, concept of, homogeneous versus heterogeneous inventory. Um, so if you look at the, the Ubers and Lyfts of the world, um, they're a marketplace, but they have mostly homogeneous inventory. Of course, you can get an SUV versus, a, versus a, an Uber X or, or however you want to look at that. But for the most part, it's uh, as long as you have a clean car and you have a driver that is safe, um, you know, people really don't care if it's a Honda or, or a Toyota Camry or whatever it is. Um, the flip side on the heterogeneous is Airbnb. They've done a great job in building a marketplace of really unique inventory. And so for me, it gets exciting to have that heterogeneous inventory. So as we go and aggregate this inventory through our platform globally, um, it, it creates this really dynamic way for us to use data to really hone in on the, the interests of our consumers. Think of it as you know, the way Netflix builds recommendation engines for what to watch. Um, we have the power, the data, and the ability to really curate, um, you know, thousands of events throughout the world for each individual person as they interact and engage with the platform. It, it sounds like, sounds like people's a very important part of, 
of this. And it's good that you've, you, it comes up repeatedly when we talk about experience, experience is the, is a thing, but in the end it's, it's a people target and I said target sounds awful, but like people is the goal. Um, you know, tell me about how you came to recognize that that was important to you and, and how you've built things throughout your career. Sure. So when you say people, I think, do you mean the, uh, that each each person is an individual and their preferences matter. Is that is yeah? That- that's because it's data is one thing. I've I've always got this neat thing of uh, I'm a I'm a huge fan of uh, and a longtime student of you know Kahneman and Tversky and all these things where we look and we can do algorithmic representations of 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 behaviors and obviously behavioral economics became a big thing. But it's funny that we're we're we are now able to use data to unpack human experiences and learn from it and it's it's very interesting that science and data can expose what's actually experience and behaviors and so it's it's neat that it's if you take it as a true like antiseptic view which is just like the data is all that matters you're actually doing the reverse i believe and it sounds like you want the experience to be incredible and you want to use the data to help you get you get those people to that good experience. Absolutely. So, and, and one of the interesting things for the opportunity that we have here is really just, um, you know, taking the, the social experience online and bringing it to a product. And, you know, some have done it well, but in the live events and ticketing space, it really hasn't happened. I mean, um, not to say anything negative about ticketing companies, that they're, they're an amazing tool for engaging audiences globally. Um, but most ticketing platforms haven't really engaged in a social experience. Um, you know, it's, it's very transactional to date. You, you see a concert, you go in, you buy a ticket, you get, you get uh, not only you pay the $100 for the ticket, and then you get charged a fee on the way out. And aside from getting your ticket and scanning it at the event, you really don't interact with that platform. Um, what we get excited about is really creating this membership, this, uh, this community of people that really love live experiences and as they engage in the platform there'll be a lot of really um, social tools for them to build um, friend groups and for them to build friends and family groups so that the moment that i'm in festival pass and i'm choosing an event or even clicking i'm interested in other events my profile continues to get built and if i'm linked to 10 people, 100 people, 1,000 people within the Festival Pass platform, I start being able to uh, see and experience what they're experiencing. Um, you know, I might know that, you know, 50 of my friends are at the same festival, or I might see that 1,000 people uh, that I may have not known before have all experienced similar festivals that I've experienced, and therefore I might want to connect with them so I can meet, meet up with them personally at the next festival. So it really is this... Uh, social engagement to really take like-minded people that really love experiences and kind of bring bring out that uh, ability for them to build a community. One of the things that is challenging these days with social communities and online activities is the the sense that, you know, hey, if it's if you're, you know, it's the classic Facebook thing. We always talk about if it's free, then you're the product. You know, in fact, it's, you're not the product. Your behaviors are the product that they're they're using. So this is interesting. That it's my my understanding that if I go into this as if my, 
when you go into an experience, when you go into a festival, when you go into a concert, into, you know, uh, all of these things, you're already very acutely aware that there is a sort of a commercial relationship that you're you're going to get something out of it and you know it's a commercial experience at the same time. So I think people would be less concerned about the fact that you're able to use that that that's that sort of data and that that experiential data to drive a better experience for the next time and at the next festival and across festivals versus when people go in like look i'm on facebook because i want to keep in touch with my second cousin who lives in you know mozambique and that but so why are you showing me ads for you know something that i just looked up on google uh it definitely feels to me like people would agree that this is part of the experience is that, hey, you know, companies are going to see what we do and, and, and make that part of making it a better experience. Is, am I right in that in the way that people are kind of willing to share data this way? Yeah, yeah, I think so. So p- part of it really is, is that the ability to have discovery. So this was something that I did learn a lot over at MoviePass was um, just understanding the transactional history of people's behaviors in terms of what they like to watch and what they like to do. Um, the, the, one of the reasons that it becomes very powerful is because the sense of discovery to introduce things to individuals that they may not have realized even themselves that they're able to seek out. You remember back in college or, or, or any other time, how fun and how cool it was to be the one that actually knew about a new band coming through town or the one that could introduce your friends to a new album uh, that they found in the record store that nobody else knew about yet. There is a sense of discovery that's exciting. And, you know, the idea if that you're able to have attended some, and this is using music as an example, but it works across the board for chefs, it works across the board for uh, film, for, you know, a new speaker at a tech and innovation festival. A new author, a new pod, you know, a new podcast host like yourself. Um, but the idea that somebody could go in and say, "Hey, because of the things I've liked, um, Festival Pass is introducing me to a you know a, a concert at Brooklyn Bowl in New York City that might not be a three-day festival, but one of the people I saw at a festival, you know." Um, you know, at a Coachella, these are just random examples, not to say that these are all directly on the platform. Um, but I saw one artist at Coachella who happens to be coming through town and is playing at the Bowery Ballroom or somewhere in New York City. And therefore, I'm, I'm being shown that right there within the app. And it's, it's allowing me to discover interesting new things. And it's, it's such an amazing thing that it's, it's what could happen naturally and the beautiful thing about using data to help people discover new experiences that are aligned with their personalities and maybe sort of give them a new edge. They want to go beyond and, and discover something. It's, it's kind of cool. I mean, look, Amazon has shown that it works when I, when they show me the, Hey, folks that bought this may also like X and Y for the most part, they're, they're right. Now, of course, as we become parents and we start to mix things we, we do, we're like, you know, you could buy snow tires and then saran wrap in bulk. And then you'll find yourself, ooh, I'm going to get a book about behavioral psychology and I'm going to buy a bicycle tire wrench. So my my stuff that Amazon recommends me is bizarre because <laughs> it has I've broken the algorithm. But when you get this, you're literally, you know, what movies you see, what plays you want to enjoy. Well, you know, a wine festival, uh, like 
like you said, look at the Virgin Fest. Look at what South by Southwest is now versus what it was. It used to be purely a music festival. Then it basically became like like TED Talks alongside it. And then all of a sudden it was startups and TED Talks and music. And the reason why that works is because people can take, hey, if you're this kind of person, you probably also listen to Tim Ferriss. So you'd love to see him speak at South by Southwest. And if you like Tim Ferriss, you probably also like this other author that he had on his show. And and pulling those things together is, it's amazing because we've got such a beautiful opportunity to expose each other to experiences, like you said, who are like, look, I saw this, I heard this. Hey, you know, it used to be word of mouth. And now it's it's word of community, which is pretty cool. The one thing you bring up, which which really makes me happy, is um, you know I've been, as I mentioned, an entrepreneur for so long, um, and for the last 13 years, I've been lucky enough to be part of a global entrepreneur group called EO. I'm not sure if you know what EO is, Entrepreneurs Organization, um, but as part of it, I'm lucky enough to get access to all these amazing educational programs. Um, you know, I was able to spend three years at MIT learning from amazing speakers and case studies. I'm able to go to universities throughout the world. Uh, I just got back two days ago from Hyderabad in India, um, where I was at a wedding for the daughter of a friend. But the reason we were all connected was because we're all part of EO and I got to meet 20 or 30 Hyderabad India entrepreneurs. Um, the reason I bring all that up is that the general population, especially in the kind of tech millennial community and where you've seen a lot of people, you know, you, you find that at things like South by Southwest and things like the Wire, uh, you know, festival or conference in San Francisco each year, uh, Summit Series in LA. So there's, there's just a lot of places, but the general mass, I take that back, mass is the wrong word, the larger population um, that isn't directly in tech or isn't directly in the, in the conference scene, doesn't always know that, um, you know, I'm trying to think of a great example, that Seth Godin, the, the author of The Tipping Point, is speaking at the, uh, you know, 92nd Street Y in New York City. Um, but maybe I am interested in seeing that. Maybe I am interested in learning more about, um, you know, human behaviors from an author like that. Why wouldn't I be excited to be introduced to that um, because of my habits of the behaviors I've, I've seen and gone to before. So I think what it does is it, it has the ability to create that TED Talk-like educational environment in live experiences for, for a larger audience rather than you know, only the people that are privileged enough to know about certain conferences. It, and it, it re can remove or at least expand the echo chamber effect, which can be challenging in, in any platform of if you're only seeking like-minded people, then you only share like-minded activities versus this because you're going beyond just music and, and just wine and just theater and just movies. You literally can connect things that are interconnected in that like there's all these sort of Venn diagram crossovers between these things. Like you said, so if, if I like, if I like you know, reading Seth Godin, I'm probably going to also dig the fact that he really likes, you know, watching plays by David Mamet. And so you're, and you're like, Oh, wait a minute. I just realized I watched this movie and I didn't know that it was a, it was a Mamet play originally. And I like that actor. Oh, it's so next, you know, you're on this Al Pacino and it becomes like the six degrees of, of, of separation. And 
if you look at being able to glue these things together, the goal of six degrees of separation was not to find six perfectly aligned things that also happen to touch each other, but six vastly different things that also touch each other and being able to bridge so that I know, you know, if I go to one thing that I'm likely to, to enjoy this other thing and here's why. And it really helps us to glue those experiences together. So you're more, I think people would be more likely to maybe dabble, you know, try something new. And, and I think that's what we need. We need to break out of the, break out of the chamber and do it in a way that other people can help us get there. And because those people are going to be there with us. And I, I think that really just pulls back to like people is such a profound part of the experience that, you know, an amazing movie is done because it was written by an amazing person who understood characters, who's writing for characters that are going to be consumed by you. Uh, and, you know, using a platform to connect you to that thing. Sorry, I, did, I could do, I'm just amazingly excited by anything we can do to make people discover other amazing people. I agree. It, it's it. That's it. No, I agree. And, and, and part of it is the reason we're kind of moving towards this and, and the more and more people that join the platform and the more and more experiences that are shared and, uh, and attended just makes the data more and more robust that enables us to, to just make it better and better. That's the, for me, the exciting thing about data is just the more touch points and the more data points that uh, happen, the better it gets for everybody. It really is a, an overall shared community of, uh, of ex data and experiences. So it sounds like you've got data as well as people in, in a powerful part of it. Uh, it. Obviously, you talked about that. How did, how did that come to be in, in your life? What was your background that drew you to you know, understand the, the, where, where data works and, and the value of it? Sure. I was saying a little bit of it earlier is um, first for the last five years or so, I've had a, a data consultancy called Predict Analytics with, with two partners. Um, and, you know, we've been spending a lot of time understanding consumer behaviors for large entertainment companies. So that experience in itself has kind of, you know, created the light to say, hey, well, this can be applied in this way. Um, and then obviously spending some time over at MoviePass as their interim chief data officer, um, I saw the discovery mechanism. So we would dig into three and a half million subscribers and try and understand, well, what were they going to see? And um, you know, if if they were introduced to an independent film um, when they traditionally only saw, you know, three or four other blockbuster type of films, what would encourage them to give it a shot and, and go see a film? Um, so that was that was a little bit of the data side. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm a data guy at heart, um, but also, uh, you know, from the humanistic standpoint, um, I, I like to see the data be used to create live experiences um, rather than just, you know, somewhere off in the internet somewhere. Yeah, it sounds like ethics is also a strong part in, in everything you discussed. You're, you're very much geared again towards the, the person's experience instead of the value of the data. Uh, how, did, how did you, you know, come to that and have you seen where ethics have, can be a challenge when, when you own so much data? Uh, yes. I mean, I, obviously, in the, in the world of the internet ecosystem overall, there's, a, there's plenty of large companies <laughs> that have grown on to be, you know, multi-billion and, and even now trillion-dollar companies um, leveraging data. Um, the, the question always is, 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 does the data feed the consumer experience? 
And I believe, you know, at the end of the day, there's a lot going on in terms of data privacy throughout the world, and that will always be changing and always evolving. Uh, and I support that. Um, but I do believe inherently, especially in, call it, I don't even know what the word younger means anymore, but the millennial generation downward is people, while they're more protective of, uh, you know, w the desire to control who gets to see their data, um, there's also a general openness to share data if there's a direct kind of value back. And, you know, if you're in an environment where you're receiving value and you're getting a great experience solely for allowing the data to be utilized, um, you know, I'd say nine out of 10 people are, are happy to engage in that process. Um, to your point, it's really the idea that if somebody's collecting valuable data on me, selling it off to some other third party, where there's profit being taken, but me as the consumer is not receiving any benefit for that share, um, then that becomes where the conflict exists. Yeah, this is the the interesting thing, and, and um, it's funny that when we talk about generations, you know, the the most noted generations that we know of, you know, today we talk about sort of the boomers because they're effectively the the on the way out. They're the retiring. They're the 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 the, the real previous generation. Uh, let's say the last surviving one, and then of course millennials. It's this such a this interesting pool of of folks that grew up in in a time where internet was available and a lot of traditional stuff. So we've got the Gen X and the Gen Y stuff that was in the middle, but we don't talk about them anymore. It's like boomers, millennials, and we don't, I don't haven't, we haven't named what's next yet, which is funny because all these millennials are having kids now. So what do we call those kids? Uh, you know, what do you think is, is going to be normal when we get into this next generation of, of children where we can now effectively create experiences and, and help to mold experiences for them and, and use these platforms to do it? Well, well the, I'm lucky enough to be blessed with three daughters um, and uh, they, they do have a name for them. They're called Gen Z. Um, so uh, it's, it's interesting for me is uh, I have a 14 year old, a 12 year old and a seven year old, all girls. And uh, without them, I wouldn't know what TikTok is. But, uh, <laughs> That's right. but, uh, but they keep me on my toes. Uh, you know, it, it is funny that, you know, I'm in the, the space and, you know, obviously I track the business efficacy of all the social platforms. Um, but it is great when I'm introduced to actually how something works, uh, from the user themselves. So, you know, when I'm looking at TikTok or even looking at Instagram or Snapchat, trying to understand, you know, how best to share the festival pass message or, or just, looking at the business efficacy of it, um, you know, I immediately get brought back to, uh, to reality by my daughters who say, well, that's not how it works. This, this is the way people engage in it. And to me, that's fascinating. So I, th I think just the response to your question is, is that for each new generation, um, they continue to engage in platforms and there'll be, you know, in the next 10 years, there'll be five other social platforms. Um, and it really is, is, you know, how do these platforms en enable individuals and humans to engage and how can, how can we at Festival Pass learn from that and apply some of those, you know, natural tendencies that some of these platforms have discovered to infuse them within Festival Pass. I'll give you one small example um, where for the good or bad, you're familiar with Venmo, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so the Venmo if you ask, uh, call it a millennial or under, um, you know, what do you like about Venmo and uh, are you okay with sharing 
uh, all the transactions, most of them are like, yeah, I don't, I don't care that everybody sees I paid uh, my friend Susie five bucks for the coffee she bought me. Um, you know, so it's like this social share of, of what, what is happening and what's going on. You ask most 40 plus year olds and they're like, I don't want anybody to know that, you know, I just sent somebody $8. Um, so it is a funny generational concept, but what I do like about the Venmo-esque experience is if you can take that to just shared experiences, not a financial transaction, but one of the things we will be launching on Festival Pass as we go forward is that shared experience. So it's, you know, do I know that I'm connected to 300 people and when I redeem a ticket to go to a specific event, all of a sudden it is shared across my network of 300 people I'm connected to. So everybody's like, oh, Ed's going to this concert or Ed's seeing this film or Ed's going to this talk with Seth Godin. Um, maybe I want to go too. And then immediately it creates this, you know, ability for community and connection. That's cool. And, and I think you've, you've hit on it right there is that we, we love the idea. The one thing we're willing to share is future experiences and i think that's you know we kind of some we sometimes we just want to sort of roll past like hey like i don't i don't want people to know that i you know i loaded my starbucks card 19 times in the past 60 days because they're gonna think i'm weird but what the, what i would like them to, to know is that i'm going to a, a startup meetup that's happening at Starbucks next week. And that's the, you know, if you connect those two things together, Hey, maybe one begets the other. And, and that's cool. And I think that's, again, like you said, this, the, the human experiences that we can create. And, and I say we, we create them and we uh, sort of expose them when they're already going to occur and let's ignite uh, a faster way for them to occur in a positive way. Not necessarily, you know, create by like forcibly create an experience. And that's really the good thing about this stuff is, as we know, you know, festivals got, you know, Netflix, a uh, very popular uh, show, of course, that, that little fire festival, the uh, people know that festivals can be a little, a little weird if you're, you know, if that's all that people will remember, you're like, Oh yeah, that's a negative thing. Like, Oh, great. So if this is something that you, your friends went there and they didn't like it, then they're, you're going to look at the things they did like. And then when they are going to another thing, then you are likely to steer. And I think it will naturally progress people towards positive experiences because we will do it together as a group versus, you know, kind of what fire did, which was just like, this is going to be amazing. And there was nobody who had the, had ever lived it. And all of a sudden they lived it and it was rather negative. And, you know, I, I hate to glue that together with our discussion. Like this has nothing to do with festival pass. <laughs> please, <laughs> please people do not, do not associate fire to this. Of course. Of course. But, but I mean, it's, it's worth, you know, it's the elephant in the room, right? It's worth talking about is the one thing that fire festival did well was they created something people wanted, right? The problem was, they couldn't execute on the delivery of the product and the uh the founders were uh you know a little shady in terms of <laughs> the uh promise and and how they handled their financial transactions but but outside of it what it showed is that people want experiences and people were willing to spend significant amount of dollars to go have an amazing shared experience um you know so i don't want to take away the beauty of what the promise was as opposed to you know the fact that whoever was managing it uh, did so you know i don't know if the word fraudulently is the right word but did so in a in, in a way where they didn't deliver on the promise so 
So yeah, yeah, and that's a good point, and that's a very good, good, careful uh, dancing on the word because that's and it's not not that we're not talking about what really happened, but we want to be we are always careful about we're the there's legalese that we have to to dance around when we talk about some stuff like that. But and and that's why I look to the history of of the folks that are that are the founders, right? And this is why when I talked earlier about you've had an incredible history that's proven to have positive experiences that have been led through this. So when you come to this, and and that's why I loved talking about opening up about ethics and and the understanding of it and and being a people oriented thing, you're looking at your history and what you've done and successfully executed on. This is why I'm happy to point people to this because Festival Pass is truly a sort of a culmination of many things that you've seen and experienced and built. And so you, I know versus, you know, some other things, Hey, look, obviously there's stuff that's going to go for the first time from a first time founder and it could be amazing, but it wouldn't, you know, why did fire tip over? If we knew the background of the, of the founding group, we may have thought differently about, about jumping on board. Now the, if you don't mind, let's, let's talk about movie pass. Cause that was an interesting experience that movie pass, uh, conceptually loved it you know it had the right idea uh but there's no great concept can survive an, an, a bad business operation and there's revenue challenges and and the most amazing ethical beautiful incredible things may not necessarily be the most amazing businesses in day-to-day operations and it's tough to bring customers on board and, and maintain it uh, revenue flows and and manage expenses and so there's there's a ton of stuff involved but if you don't mind, share some of the experiences why MoviePass was really cool and maybe why it faced some of the challenges it did. Sure, sure. So, you know, first of all, there there was a lot of good people behind MoviePass. There are some, you know, some decisions that were made along the way um, outside the purview of some of the leadership that, you know, that that allowed it to go down a certain path. But, but ultimately, when you think about the overall big picture, um, it was a, a great concept and idea. It did have a generally positive, good mission. I mean, at the end of the day, the core mission for MoviePass was to get more casual moviegoers going to the movies more. That was that simple. It was how do we inspire people to go to the theater more, physically go sit in front of the big screen uh, and engage when you know, movie tickets are getting more and more expensive, people are watching things at home more. So how can we preserve that concept of going to the movies. So, so that at the core was a good mission. One of the, you know, one of the core problems that could have been fixed, but, but didn't get fixed was, you know, the underlying notion of uh, the business model, right? There, there was, um, and this is important because this is the antithesis of what Festival Pass is, and I'll explain why, is um, the, one of the hard things to do is creating a model where you can't control gross margin. Um, and when you're in a place where you have a flat monthly fee um, with an unlimited uh, consumption possibility, while it sounds nice to the consumer, um, there's not enough discipline within the business model to ensure a gross margin. And when you can't ensure a gross margin, you can't ensure the sustainability of a company. So uh, I, I promised myself um, you know, early on when this Festival Pass concept was being generated, was I, I want to build a company where when I ask my users, my members to do to do something and they do more of it, that everybody wins. 
And uh, in that, in order to do that, there has to be some gross margin in the business. So I never want to be in a place where I say, hey, come and go to a lot of festivals and events, and they do, and then I lose money. Um, yeah, it sounds, it's, it's comical and when we look at it and, you, and you, if you write it down, you're like, this just makes total sense. Like, no, you don't understand, most businesses don't get this because <laughs> there's growth targets that they chase first and unfortunately then they lose control of gross margin as a result of being new customer focused only or, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things that can really confuse the, the success and sustainability. Yeah, and, and, and MoviePass did have a path. There, there was a path to turn it. They just didn't have enough runway to get there. Right. Um, and, and, I, and that we can go into deep. That, that's a, that's a three-day conversation on all the different intricacies of what could have been and what could have happened. Um, and, you know, I don't want to take anything away. I mean, what, what's been amazing about MoviePass and will go down in history for the next 50 years as changing the way the entire, you know, ecosystem works and Obviously, the the introduction of subscription programs with AMC and Cinemark and, and uh, Alamo Drafthouse and others, um, it will be a sustainable kind of type of business model going forward. So I give MoviePass a lot of credit for kind of pioneering that. And well, not- in a sense, it's like the old phrase, we stand on the shoulders of giants. Like, and the, we, unfortunately, some things are the the bedrock of of what becomes the next thing that we build on and for better or for worse, you know, some companies, you know, like I said, so we, we learn incredible lessons and that's really why I was comfortable in, in asking you about MoviePass. I'm not saying that like, Hey, MoviePass was a failure from the start. No, no, it, it didn't, it suffered unfortunate missteps in, in the business that, that couldn't be, couldn't be gotten past uh, in it. But the, like you said, the path was there. It's just that they needed more runway to get there and, and everything. Look at, you know, why is Facebook the number one? Well, remember it, it overtook Friendster, which was the number one and MySpace, which once the number one. And, and one day perhaps we'll talk about, Oh man, remember Facebook? Yeah. You know, it's, it, nothing is, nothing is permanent. Uh, especially in a, in a market where, new generations come along and they will consume perhaps differently. And, and the thing that mattered the most to generation Y and, and the millennials when, when generation Z or Z for my Canadian friends uh, <laughs> will, that's why I think, well, we can never call it generation Z because no one on either side of the 49th parallel will agree that it's the right phrasing, <laughs> but that whatever's next, those people's children, you know, and their children Will will fundamentally change the way that we create and, and consume things. Yep. No. So it, there's two two things to point out that are very very um, um, constructive in terms of why Festival Pass uh, has a long runway and will succeed. Is um, the one thing we learned. Uh, the one thing I learned um, from Movie Pass was the basic business model. And uh, have in Canada, I'm sure you guys have heard of Class Pass. Have you heard of Class Pass? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The class pass um, was another very instructive um, concept for me in the process of building this business model is they, they had many of the same problems MoviePass did in the early days. Um, you know, they were founded back in 2012, 2013 and uh, had some of the same issues of um, anytime you have a product where it's not a um, virtual product, meaning that the gross margins uh, have to be shared with the third party. Um, like in the movies or like in, you know, a class, uh, it's difficult to manage certain unlimited subscriptions or some flat base rates. 
um, when there's heterogeneous inventory. And what I mean by that is, you know, in the class world, you might have a class that costs five dollars and one that costs thirty. Same with same with tickets. Um, you know, we have some experiences that cost eight dollars and some that cost three hundred. So in order to to manage that, class passed about three years ago. Um, did something that I think was, uh, you know, very pioneering and really kind of set the stage for their growth into 30 countries. And I think uh, if you've been tracking the news, they're now a unicorn. Uh, about two weeks ago, they raised a little more money at over a billion dollar valuation. Um, but they introduced a credit-based system about three years ago. And while initially trying to transform their, you know, hundreds of thousands of users at the time, uh, to a different way of doing business. It was a little difficult, but within a few months, um, kind of that all shook out and it became a sustainable model going forward. So uh, we learned from that and Festival Pass from day one has launched as a credit-based business model. Does that make sense or do you want me to? Explain? Yeah, no, that's really cool. And 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 it's, it's very interesting too that there's, you know, it's not necessarily a, a full pivot, but it's a very strong like, business decision that that can that will fundamentally change the outcome because of it opens up new doors and so yeah let's we actually do go a bit further on it what is it sounds like this obviously is going to be fundamental to festival pass and how is this going to play out yep yep it is it really is it creates a sustainable gross margin so so what it means is that a user will come on and whatever monthly um, fee they choose to participate in, we have fees as low as $9 a month up to $99 a month. And for that monthly subscription, uh, our users or members, I should say, receive credits. So uh, at a lower price point, they're gonna receive a lower amount of credits and the per credit price is gonna be a little higher uh, with a lower commitment. But once they're committing to $79 or $99 a month, the price per credit goes down because they're committing to go go to more experiences. Um, and in that process, it enables us to have an understanding of um, pricing our partner inventory in a way where we're always at least um, having some kind of gross margin. And that, that amount of gross margin enables us to um, you know, sustain and operate. The, key and what gets exciting about it is using data it also enables us to really create a reverse dynamic pricing mechanism so the same way you know in the world of airlines and you know pretty much any other industry hotels etc where based upon supply and demand based upon many other data points there's points in time where certain inventory costs different things so right. our promise to our members is by being a member and subscribing, you're always going to have a significant value rather than if you went and bought that ticket directly, you're always going to have some kind of discount, always have some kind of value benefit, um, you know, and hopefully uh, it becomes that sub very substantial over time where the commitment to, um, you know, living more of an experiential life, you get more and more value for doing so. Um, but what it enables us to do is because we're charging credits is if there's some events that might, you know, not be selling out early on, we can lower the credit price to encourage our members to discover new things. And by doing so, they're getting a deal because they're getting it at a lower credit price. The venue is getting more users coming in and experiencing the event and everybody wins because what it doesn't do is it doesn't take away that um, event rights holder the ability to sell full price tickets elsewhere. 
So it's not that, you know, they're going to market like Groupon and saying, hey, 30% off the ticket. Um, they're not ruining their ability to get a, a full price ticket from a regular user. Um, we're just offering our members for the privilege of committing to that subscription, great value and everybody wins. Yeah, it was fun. Talk about interesting one, a Groupon where a lot of, a lot of businesses struggled when they got on board that platform. And, and there were many sort of horror stories of <laughs> like people like, I'm making cupcakes for a penny a piece and this is killing me because I just got 10,000 orders for cupcakes all of a sudden and, I, and I'm working out of my own home kitchen. So we, we have these weird stories of people that, that weren't prepared for that market and, and they didn't understand the pricing model could influence that really challenging behavior that, hey, good news is you went viral. <laughs> Bad news is you got a lot of inventory backlog now and, and you're getting eaten alive on margins. Uh, so you're in fact in, in negative margins. So it's I, it's good that you've, you're building towards that. And again, sustainability, it sounds like sustainability is also very much in both the people and the business side part of, of you. Uh, is that also something that was founded in sort of your own youth and, and background? Yeah, when you say, um, you talking about sustainability of the business model or sustainability yeah. in general? And sustainability of any, anything, it's, it's, there's a very strong theme of like you're making it sure that you're using, creating a business that creates a, a good experience, a sustainable customer ecosystem, uh, and you're, you're not looking at burning down trees in order to create fire, uh, which is, uh, I think there's, it's not necessarily that your everything you have is artisanally crafted, made from bamboo, but literally like you're, you're doing things that are not meant to take away from another ecosystem in, in doing that. And that's a, a strong story of positivity in, in my view. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I think part of it is um, just the kind of life cycle I am as an entrepreneur is, you know, I've, I've had the experiences of going through, um, processes that, you know, create the lack of sustainability. Um, and, you know, from the way we're financing the company to the way uh, we're kind of taking a longer term approach to it, to, you know, me at this point in my life, um, looking at this as a global, a global company that I can leverage, you know, the relationships I've built through my entrepreneur network over the last 20 years to, to really, kind of slowly, you know, go country by country and launch little ecosystems in Europe and then in Australia and then, and then in uh, Asia, um, Latin America. And part of it is, you know, I, this is, we've finally reached this pinnacle of everything I've done in my life is all coming together uh, from the experience side, from the data side, from the business model side. And, you know, you know, this is something I want to be doing for the next 10 years of my life. So it's exciting to you know, put it all together and make sure that it's okay if it takes a few extra months or it's okay if, you know, we take six months longer to get another 20, 30,000 subscribers because it doesn't have to be just a, a quick, a quick six month win and then I'm out. I really want to participate in this and watch it grow for a long period of time. Uh, and back to your point of sustainability is, you know, I, I get excited to just see this grow globally that's incredible and and that said it's in a world where uh you know i've 
Silicon Valley, you know, investments has really steered a lot of people towards the the challenging, you know, world of of VCs that sometimes where they're they're looking for more hockey sticks than the Boston Bruins uh, staff. You know, it's a it's a very tough thing to look for to find businesses that can be modeled around growth and sustainability. Obviously, you want to you want to build strong success. You want to build something, but you want to build in a way that you're comfortable with and that you're realigning continuously to a, a human experience. So, so I, I tell you, Ed, this has been an absolute pleasure, uh, folks. I, I definitely recommend take a look, go to Festival Pass, uh, check it out, uh, get involved. The today, you know, as we're recording this, and and when this was publishes, uh, there's the the founders. Uh, availability. That's the the current the founders pass. So if you want to talk quickly about you know how folks can get involved today, uh, Ed, and then as they'll they'll keep going, and and I'm looking forward to catching up again in future as you go through the next phases of growth in the business. Yeah, no, I, I think exactly what you're saying is go to festivalpass.com, um, understand the model, see where it's at. We have thousands of events that will be on the platform in the next 60, uh, 30, 60 days. So, you know, part of what we've been spending a lot of time for 2020 is building the relationships of the inventory. Uh, and then, you know, within the next 30, 60 days, as things like this publish and we start going out to the world and telling everybody uh, all about what we're doing, um, the consumer side, when they come in, they'll be seeing more and more events. So don't be afraid to sign up now. Um, you can roll your credits over month to month. So even if you spend 30 days and don't go, don't see an event that you really want to go to, your credits will roll over to the next month and there'll be thousands upon thousands of events throughout North America uh, over the next 30, 60, 90 days. It's a, a true, a, a real time, real living your best timeline. And, and so it's, the, it's a magical thing. So uh, Ed Vincent, serial entrepreneur and, and sound to to my my assessment, a serial, a good human. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to share share time with you today, and definitely we'll uh, we'll we'll get folks in, uh, and we'll catch up again as we go through further into the launch. I wish you uh, amazing things to you and the team, uh, and I'm looking forward to to jumping in myself and experiencing some some stuff firsthand and and sharing my own thoughts and experiences on it. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Eric.